Our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 5. We're looking specifically at verses 33 to 37. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. This is the word of God. Give ear to it. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, what the Lord Jesus has just said to us in his word seems so simple, and yet, for sinners like we, it is often so difficult to tell the truth, to keep our oaths and our vows, not to swear falsely, O Lord. If we are being at all honest with ourselves, we find these things so easy to do. We pray, O Lord, for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, O Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Enable us, O Lord, to defeat the sin that is within us. Even the sin of not keeping our word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are able to remember, how many of you can recall what the simple test in the Old Testament is to determine whether a prophet is a true prophet or a false prophet? How many of you remember? It's a very simple test. Does anyone know? The test is that if, you, if the prophet speaks a word and that word comes true, he is a pr true prophet of the Lord. And if the word that he speaks does not come true, then he is a false prophet. This is the test that the Lord gives us in Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 to 22. You see, these words of God were spoken to the Israelites. They were spoken uh, to the Israelites through the prophet Moses, who was preparing the people for his death. He was about to depart. He was about to leave them right there at the Jordan River. And he wanted his people to be ready. More specifically, the Lord wanted his people to be ready for Moses' death. God understood that his people would have a need to know whom they could trust when Moses died. Knowing whom to trust. Knowing who is telling you the truth. This was as big an issue then as it is now. And it was no different in Jesus' day. Now obviously the people who had been following Jesus around as they were, they were hearing about his miracles, some had even witnessed what he had done. And they were follow, following around the area of Capernaum. They wanted to find out more about this man. They wanted to know who he was and whether he could be trusted. They wanted to know about this man who was from Nazareth. And so they followed him to the side of a mountain. 
And they got a sermon from him about the kingdom of heaven and what, uh, about the kinds of citizens who will inhabit that kingdom. The type of people who are called the children of God. And when Jesus preached a scripture, uh, preached on scripture ranging from the commandment uh, not to commit adultery, the commandment uh, not to commit murder, uh, he spoke as the author of all those commandments. And this morning he speaks about the commandment about making oaths and swearing falsely. He speaks as the one who wrote these very words, God himself. But he also speaks as the one who perfectly and ultimately fulfilled each and every commandment of the Old Testament. He speaks as the true citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Well, this morning when we read Jesus' words about the taking of oaths and letting our yeses be yes and our noes be no, first and foremost we need to see that he is speaking about himself. He's speaking about himself here. He's telling you and he's telling me that we can depend on what he says. His yes is yes. And his no is no. His words remind us that he perfectly kept his word. He showed himself to be the true prophet while fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies. Indeed, all of the Old Testament itself. He kept his word so that you and I would be set free from our slavery to sin to proclaim him as our Savior and Lord. And so as we consider this passage, I would ask you to think about this, that you would hold this before you. Jesus proved that his word was true by dying in our place and rising from the dead on the third day, just as he foretold. Jesus proved that his word was true by dying in our place and rising from the dead on the third day, just as he foretold. We'll look at this passage in three parts. The first is verse 33, do not swear in vain. The second part is no oath at all verses 34 to 36. And the third part is simply yes or no, verse 37. Again, do not swear in vain, verse 33. No oath at all, verses 34 to 36. And simply yes or no, verse 37. Well, let's look at verse 33. Jesus said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now in this, Jesus is making reference to two different Old Testament passages. He's actually making reference to what the people had been taught. And there are two different Old Testament passages that are being referred to here. The first, you shall not swear falsely, comes from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12, which says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of, the, of your God. I am the Lord. Well, the second reference that is made is, is, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And this refers to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, which says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. Jesus is quoting others who have combined biblical teaching on oaths and vows. And the sum of that teaching was, be honest in what you say, and do what you say you will do. Now the link here between Leviticus 19, verse 12, and the third commandment is clear. The third commandment says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
To swear by the name of God in order to mask a lie was to take the name of the Lord in vain, isn't it? To give an oath in the name of God is to call upon God as your witness that what you're saying is true. So to make a false oath in the name of God is to say that God knows what you're saying to be true. It makes God a participant in your lie. And for this reason, Leviticus says that it profanes God's name. It profanes it. Now, in order to keep from using the name of the Lord in vain, Jews came to the point where they would no longer say it. If they were reading Scripture, and they would come to a part in Scripture in which God's covenantal, His personal name, Yahweh, was written, they would substitute Adonai. Adonai. Even today, they refrain from using that most personal name of God. And it originally started out as a sign of respect. It originally started out as an attempt out of piousness for them to avoid ever taking his name in vain. They didn't want to come close to taking God's name in vain. And so rather than taking an oath in God's name, they would try to take it by heaven or by Jerusalem. But you see, the, the heart of man is deceitful. <laughs> and soon this turned into a way of not having to honor the oaths which they took in a name other than God's name. Now, we've all been around people who are unreliable. We've all been around people who are not trustworthy. They say they're going to do something, but they fall through on their promise. You may have co-workers like this. You may know people in your lives who tell you something, and you know in the back of your mind that you can't fully trust what they're telling you. But there are also people who you know who are dependable, trustworthy, solid. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. When they say they're going to be somewhere, they are there. These are the kind of people that in an emergency you will leave your children with because you know they will take care of them. Their lives have proven that their words are truthful. But all of us, every single one of us, even the most dependable and trustworthy of us here, has to admit that there are times when we have made promises, when we have said things that are not true. We've taken oaths that we have not upheld. We've made vows that we've quickly broken. We've told a, a lie rather than the truth. And when we read God's word, when we study passages like the one before us, we understand how important honesty is to God. We understand how important it is to Him. And we understand how important it is to Him that we maintain honesty. You see, God does not lie. Hebrews 6 verse 18 says that it is impossible for God to lie. This is a great blessing to you and me. What if God did lie? What if he did? What would that mean? Could you trust anything that he promises in his word? Would he be reliable? Would he be dependable? Absolutely not. If God lies, then we cannot believe what he says. All of his promises would be untrue. But God does not lie. When God says something, it is as good as done. You can count on it. When he promised thousands of years in advance that he would send the seed of Adam to come and crush the serpent's head, you knew that it was going to happen. And indeed it did happen. 
When Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, he spoke of himself. And when he said this, we could know that what he said was going to happen. It was impossible for it not to happen because he cannot lie. Jesus did as he said he would do. And in so doing, he proved to all of us, he proved to the world that he is the true prophet. He proved to you and me that his word is something that he will keep, even to the death. Let's look at verses 34 to 36. No oath at all. Earlier it was mentioned that the Jews, out of a desire not to profane the name of God, not to take his name in vain, they wouldn't even say his most personal and covenantal name. And for the same reason, instead of making an oath in God's name, Jews began to make oaths in other ways. They, instead of saying, I swear to God, which is we hear far too often nowadays, they might say, I swear by heaven, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by the temple. And what might have been pious in their intent originally turned into something else over time. Scripture teaches us Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And so by avoiding the use of the Lord's name in oaths, people's deceitful hearts naturally began to assert themselves. People began to believe that if they swore by the temple instead of by God, that they were not bound by the oath that they made. Rabbis began to distinguish between what constituted a binding oath and what wasn't. And so you see this legalism springing up around the use of oaths. And in the process, a person's word began to mean absolutely nothing. It was worthless. Jesus understands this, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, he condemns the scribes and the Pharisees who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Jesus lets them have it over this. Because of the deceitfulness of the human heart, Jesus speaks very strongly in our passage this morning. In verses 34 to 35, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by, uh, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. The Jews thought that by taking an oath without referring to God, they would be off the hook if they didn't keep it. But Jesus addresses their various attempts at circumvention. It's almost like a person attempting to make a wager using someone else's money. They don't lose anything. They don't, gonna, not, they don't stand to lose anything in the, in the gamble. They know they're not supposed to use God's name as collateral. So they use heaven or Jerusalem instead. But Jesus explains in these verses that if they won't take an oath by God, then they can't take an oath by heaven because heaven is the throne of God. It is God's alone. And if human beings have uh, no right to use it to try and falsely establish the truthfulness of their oath, then they should not do it at all. They can't make an oath to heaven. But they also can't make an oath by earth because that too belongs to God. It is his footstool. Man has no right to lay claim to either heaven or earth. It is God who made them. They belong to him. They are his possession, not our own. 
Neither do they have a right to swear an oath by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. It is the city of God himself. Psalm 48, verses 1 to 2, say this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, in the far north, the city of the great king. This is not referring to David. This is referring to God himself. He is the great king. And Jerusalem is his city. So Jesus, in a very few uh, short words, has basically dismantled their ability to swear by anything. And then in verse 36, he dismantles their ability to swear even by themselves, even by their own head. He, he tells them that they cannot take an oath by their own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Even my own head, something I think I can lay claim to, is not my own. God made it. God has counted the number of hairs on my head. He determines its color. God lays claim to you and me just as he lays claim to the temple, just as he lays claim to heaven and earth. It is not ours to lay claim to. It is not ours to wager. In response to this elaborate system of oath-taking, Jesus says not to take an oath at all. Now, many of you have had to take some form of oath or, or vow at some point in your lives. Some of you have taken an oath for jury duty. Others have taken oaths of enlistment. All here who are communicant members have taken vows when you become a member. Well, does this passage ban all oath or vow taking? Does it? If it does, we're in trouble. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it does not. Let me give you just a few examples of why it does not ban taking vows. Jesus himself, and uh, later on in this book, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, answers Caiaphas the high priest under oath. On numerous occasions in Paul's letter, the apostle takes an oath. He says, God is my witness. This is an oath. And as Hebrews 6 says, even God himself takes oaths. He swears by his own name because there is none higher. We're not prohibited from taking oaths or vows, but we are certainly prohibited from taking them lightly. We're certainly prohibited from taking them frivolously without due consideration to the seriousness of the oaths or the vows we're taking. Because our word, our word is on the line. And ultimately, our obedience is to the Lord is on the line. Jesus' point is that trying to deceive by taking an oath by something other than God's name is still a lie. You can't avoid it. It's like crossing your fingers behind your back when someone asks you to tell the truth. Just because you've got your fingers crossed does not mean that it isn't a lie. Well, if you're still doubting whether you should take an oath, let me point you to a specific passage. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 13, where God commands his people to swear an oath only by his name. Only by his name and none other. Why does he do this? Because he recognizes that people will understand the weight and the seriousness of taking an oath when they swear it by God's name alone. We are not keeping ourselves out of trouble if we swear by something other than God's name and don't mean it. Our word 
will be worthless if we take a vow and dishonor it. Well, let's turn now and look at verse 37. Simply yes or no. People continue to take uh, oaths under false pre pretenses today, all of the time. Oaths are almost pointless, it seems. People go before, go into the witness stand, before a jury, before a judge, and they take oaths and they lie. <laughs> it happens all the time. We think the more emphatically that we say something, we're attesting to the truthfulness of that. We think the more emphatically we say it, I'm telling you the truth. I swear. We think that by saying this, people will believe us. Well, Jesus' solution to the problem of false oaths and vows still applies today. Let, you, you say, let what you say be simply yes or no. How many times, even in the last year, even in the last month, have you heard someone emphatically deny a charge that has been made against him? Only to find out a couple of weeks later that what he denied was exactly what he did. Can you believe this person ever again when they make a vow, when they take an oath, when they say that what they're telling you is the truth? It seems like the harder a person denies the charges and the more forceful language he uses to convince us, the more likely it is that he's done what he's been accused of. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. How different our culture would be if this were simply the case. It would mean that we value our word far more than possessions. We value our word far more than appearance. We'd be less worried about having to protect our possessions because we know people are going to be honest. We'd have less worry about whether people are telling us the truth, whether they're deceiving us, whether we're being ripped off. If people would simply honor their word. Jesus says that anything more than a simple yes or no, any attempt to deceive others by our words, comes from evil. Think of Satan in the Garden of Eden. He used words. He used words to deceive Adam and Eve. Did God truly say? Did God truly say? And we are using words in the same way Satan used them if we use them to deceive other people. Jesus' command here is so simple, and yet it is so difficult for sinful people like you and me to keep. And yet because of Jesus' willingness to keep it, yet because of his willingness to honor his word, he has delivered salvation to all who call upon his name. Because he's willing to honor what he said. He's, giving, he's given you, and he's given me, the ability to be free from our enslavement to sin, to be, in, to be free from the enslavement to our deceitful tongues. He's enabled us to honestly and truly keep our words. God's willingness to keep his covenant means that in spite of the formal de former deceitfulness of our hearts, God has saved us, and we will be with him forever. But it also means something a little more practical for us this morning. Not, not that something could be more practical than our eternal salvation. But in time and in space, it means that Jesus kept his word when he said he would send his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. And what does this mean? It means that those of us who struggle with honesty and integrity 
God will enable us to be honest, to speak the truth, to keep our word. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have his spirit. And he will enable you to let your yes be yes and let your no be no. He will make you able to keep your word in ways that you have never dreamed. And what this looks like in practice is that we won't take oaths that we have no intention or ability to honor. We won't make vows that we will later break when they become inconvenient to us. Some of us are afraid to say no when other people ask us to do something. And we realize, even as we're saying yes, that there is no way on earth we're going to be able to do what we're telling another person that we will do. But as believers in Christ, you are enabled by His Spirit to know, in honesty, what you're capable of doing. You aren't Superman. You're not Jesus Himself. You can't do everything. You have limitations. You've got to honestly assess your limitations. And let your yes be yes and your no be no. And not be fearful of what they'll think of you. But this does not mean that you should do nothing. This does not mean that you should be afraid of making any commitments to anything because you don't want to vac- break your word. You don't want to dishonor your vow. To fa- paraphrase James chapter 4, verse 17, know the good that you must do and do it. To do otherwise is a sin. We need to speak the truth, not lies. But as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we need to speak the truth in love. The truth spoken any other way is not the truth. Because our heart's desire is not to speak the truth. It is to tear other people down. If we did everything that we give our word to, and if we spoke the truth in love, we would be more honest people. We would be people that others would depend on with their very lives. They would depend on us to care for their children and to love them. If people know that you're trustworthy, they will entrust in you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do not be afraid to say either. But keep your word either way. Christ kept his, kept his word for us. Because we bear his name, our word needs to be kept. And we can keep it. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would allow us to be as good as our word. And that our word would be true. We pray, dear Lord, that our honor and our desire, our desire for uh, honor would be an honor for your name. That we would be desirous of glorifying your name and not our own. And that as we keep the words we have spoken, that we would declare your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh,